Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. Well, I want to take some time today to talk about immigration as it's making headlines this week. Now, I'm recording this actually late on Monday night, and this um, episode's not going to air until Friday because I'm headed out on spring break, but I wanted to go ahead and get this recording taken care of. And as of this recording, at this moment, there are 4,200 minor children being held at the U.S.-Mexico border in Border Patrol custody. This is a record number of minor children, and about half of them, that's about 1,400 of them, have been held by Border Patrol for more than three days. And three days is what is really allowed by law. They're being held in facilities that are not designed for children. So this is clearly a crisis for children at the southern border. These current numbers are certainly high, and they are definitely alarming. I mean, can you imagine 4,000 children at the border without their parents sleeping in facilities not made for them? It really is a tragic thought. So the U.S. has seen influxes like this on and off since at least 2014. In 2014 is when the U.S. saw a dramatic shift in the kinds of migrants who were arriving at the southern border. So it used to be that um, primarily we received single adult Mexicans prior to 2014. But since then, the shift has been that families and children are coming from Central America's Northern Triangle. The Northern Triangle includes Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. Since 2014, the number of unaccompanied children arriving at the southern border has remained above 40,000. 40,000 children coming unaccompanied every year. This peaked in 2019 under President Trump at 72,000 children arrived in 2019. Well, you probably know President Biden has committed to effective and humane border policies, but this current influx has proven to be especially tough to handle because over the last year, of course, you know, we've had COVID and COVID drastically slowed our immigration capabilities. Um, It's people had to remain in Mexico. And so that has kept hopeful asylum seekers waiting on the other side of the border for the last 12 months. And many of them are now flooding in now all at once. So it's sort of pent up for the last year, and now they're coming in. Well, President Biden deployed FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, to help receive, shelter, and transfer these unaccompanied children over the next 90 days. So you probably know that immigration really has been an issue for the United States for decades. It's not just this week. It's not just this president or the last. It's been a problem for decades because politicians don't want to touch it. They don't want to go there because it's such a hotly debated, hotly contested issue. But we all know that it is a problem and it's a a system that needs wide reform. This week, the House of Representatives is looking at two different bills that are aimed at targeted specific immigration reform. So because immigration is just so politicized, I wanted to take this episode of all things to inform my listeners and really to remind myself about what is true about immigrants who come to the United States. With this issue being in the headlines every day, it's imperative that you and I are thinking rightly. It's imperative that we're thinking biblically, that we're thinking in a way that represents what's really true about immigrants so that we can develop a well-informed and truth-based opinion on the matter. So over this past week, I took time to reread an excellent book that I want to um, recommend to you. The book is called Welcoming the Stranger, 
Justice, Compassion, and Truth in the Immigration Debate. And the authors are Matthew Sorens and Jenny Yang. They both work for World Relief, which is the humanitarian arm of the National Association of Evangelicals. Both Matthew and Jenny have been working with the immigrant community for decades. They've been working with immigrants who are here in the U.S. as refugees, as asylum seekers, immigrants who are legal, and immigrants who are undocumented. I read the book first back in the summer of 2019. That's when I recorded All Things Episode 18, also about immigration and the crisis at our borders. So you might want to go back and listen to that episode if you're particularly interested, but I definitely recommend this book and I will link it in the show notes. So what's been so helpful about rereading this book and also helpful about many of the other articles and podcasts that I listened to this week, which of course I will also link in the show notes, is that they've all really helped me to better understand who immigrants are what immigrants are like, what brought them to the United States, what they're like when they get to the United States. And so that's what I want to focus on in this episode. I want to share all all of that with you. And of course, I just want to recommend get that book, Welcoming the Stranger, if you can. Okay, so here's what's true about immigrants in the United States. Most foreign-born residents in the U.S. are here legally, 75% of them. So three out of four foreign-born residents are here legally. But there are currently 11 million immigrants who are here with no legal status. So that's 11 million undocumented immigrants. Now, 40% of those came here legally. 40% entered the country legally on legalized papers, but then they overstayed. Many people fear this population. I mean, you just say undocumented immigrant and people are fearful. I think that's the popular thinking is they are afraid. Well, Ed Stetzer, you might know that name. He's a Christian thinker and a social commentator. And he says, undocumented immigrants are far more likely to be an evangelical pastor than a criminal. And I think that's really true. We are going to flesh that out as we move on through this episode. The reality is undocumented immigrants are 44% less likely to be incarcerated than native-born American citizens. The majority of undocumented immigrants are employed in the United States. Most of them are working. An estimated 7.6 million undocumented immigrants work in the food industry, agriculture, construction, manufacturing, and so on. Undocumented immigrants make up approximately 3% of the U.S. population, but 4% of the workforce. So they are overrepresented in the workforce. There's 5 million of them, nearly three in four undocumented immigrants in the workforce. They are, 5 million are considered essential workers, according to the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. So just think of COVID over the last year, 5 million workers who are undocumented immigrants are essential workers. Many undocumented workers obtain a false social security card in order to get a job here. So they'll get a they'll come up with a false social security number, get a false social security card and that's what enables them to gain employment. Having that also enables them to pay taxes. However, it keeps them from gaining the benefit. They do not get to receive Medicare or Social Security. So they're paying in, but not reaping the benefit. So that's totally contrary to popular thinking. They are not actually a, quote, drain on society. The majority of undocumented immigrants contribute to society, actually, without being able to reap the benefits themselves. Almost all undocumented immigrants pay taxes in one form or another, just like everybody else. They pay state and local sales and excise taxes. That nets $7 billion annually in our country. 
There's $3.6 billion that they pay in property taxes across all the states. About 30% of undocumented immigrants own their own homes, and the rest, of course, pay property taxes through their landlords. Undocumented immigrants provide $12 billion a year in social security contributions, $12 billion a year. So really, they are subsidizing a system that many will never be able to benefit from. Many undocumented immigrants file tax returns. Now, they can't use their false social security numbers for that, but the IRS provides them with what's called an ITIN, I-T-I-N, an Individual Taxpayer Identification Number. So every year, 4.6 million tax returns are done with an I-T-I-N. Many undocumented immigrants trust the IRS. The IRS says, if you pay taxes, we promise not to tell immigration enforcement that you're here. And so... Clearly, 4.6 million believe the IRS and they do pay taxes. So the bottom line here is that undocumented immigrants pay more in taxes than they use. They're not eligible for things like welfare or food stamps or disability or tax credits or Medicaid or subsidized health insurance. The benefits they get from the tax system are related to our infrastructure, of course, things that we all benefit from, like paved roads and clean drinking water. And they are eligible for some kinds of emergency relief. They're eligible for some kinds of health care, like vaccines for their children and pregnancy care. And of course, their children are eligible for public school. But the bottom line is undocumented immigrants are not at all a drain on the system. And I know that probably comes as a surprise to many to you because that's not what we hear in the headlines. That's not what we hear in the rhetoric. That's not what people are saying to one another in conversation. What is really true, though, is that they are pouring into the system. They are contributing members of society while being unable themselves to reap those benefits. Now, really, one of the primary reasons, maybe the primary reason that immigrants come to the United States is to work. It's not to take advantage of the system. Again, this is another false claim that's widely made. They're just here to take advantage of the system. Oh, it must be nice. I wish I could do that. But the truth is they want to work. They are much more likely to be employed than native-born citizens. The labor participation amongst male undocumented immigrants is above 90%. More than 90% of them are working. This is far higher than immigrants who are authorized and far higher than native-born citizens as well. There's one tragedy, of course, not surprisingly. It's that when their employers learn that an undocumented worker's papers have been falsified, oftentimes employers will change to paying them in cash rather than by check so that they can deeply reduce their pay and there's no paper trail. So because these undocumented immigrants don't have legal status, they don't report unfair labor practices. So they're taken advantage of, they're exploited, and they're afraid to go to law enforcement to report it. 37% of undocumented immigrants get paid less than minimum wage, and 76% say they are expected by their employer to work off the clock. What I want you to hear is that immigration adds to our economy. People tend to think that undocumented workers take jobs away from Americans, but the truth is they don't subtract our jobs. They complement the current jobs that are available to Americans. So for example, in one podcast that I was listening to, a man in the agriculture industry said, in agriculture, many undocumented immigrants are the, the ones who are out there picking the produce. 
And then that produce is shipped in trucks across America, thus helping to employ truck drivers and, of course, stocking grocery store shelves and employing grocery store workers. So undocumented immigrants are an essential link in our economic change. Not only that, but their presence here adds consumers to the marketplace. So the fact that they're here means they're going to be buying food, furniture, homes, cars, all of those things. They add consumers to our marketplace. As I said above, more than 40% of undocumented immigrants come here legally. So 40% are here legally. They come on papers and then they overstay. They even plan ahead sometimes to overstay, of course, because the truth is it's so very difficult for them to get a visa to stay here if they are from a poor country. Long-term and permanent status visas just are not granted to immigrants who apply from poor countries. But the truth is most undocumented immigrants want to be here legally. They don't want to be here illegally. They prefer to have a legal status, but it's just not available to them. And so they live in constant fear. 1.5 million undocumented immigrants are married to citizens or lawful residents. This is called a mixed status relationship. And of course, they are afraid. They don't want to be separated from their spouse or from their children. And so they live in the shadows. They are not able to realize their full potential through getting education or other civic activities or otherwise because they are so afraid of being apprehended and caught and deported back home. They want to be legal, but the reality is the legal process for naturalizing requires tests and more money than many have available to them. Many people, I think it's popular thinking that undocumented immigrants come here to give birth to so-called anchor babies. The popular thinking is that if a mom gives birth here, then her child will be a citizen, which is true. But having a baby here does not mean that the mom will get any rights. So what's true is that her child is not eligible to file for her parents' citizenship until the child is 21. And then at that time, For it to be legal, the parents would have to return and go back to their home country, and they would not be allowed to re-enter the United States for 10 years, and they likely would be barred from re-entering at all. So we're looking at a baby who's 31 or older, being able to apply for citizenship for her parents, and her parents likely not being able to come back into the country anyway. So really, the anchor baby scenario does not work. People enter the United States because they want employment not to have babies. But of course, when they get here, many do find partners, they fall in love and they start a family, but then their fear of being caught increases. Families are ripped apart all the time because one of the spouses is illegal and is deported back home with no chance to re-enter. Such laws create widows and orphans instantly. They destroy the family and they're counterproductive for that family and for society as a whole. Family unity really should be a priority for our immigration reform because it's good for the immigrants themselves. It's good for our culture. It's good for our nation. It's good for the children. It's good for the parents. Family unity really should be central to immigration reform. Another thing I want to share with you, remind myself, there is no correlation between immigrants and crime. Studies have shown repeatedly, consistently since 1990, that the crimes of native-born citizens are always double and sometimes five times the rate of immigrants in the same community. So one study shows that from 1990 to 2013, 
the number of undocumented immigrants more than tripled, yet violent crime fell by 48% and property crime fell by 41%. Another study showed that when communities experience significant gains in concentration of immigrants, violent crimes fall. Now, it's not that undocumented immigrants are more virtuous. They are sinners, just like the rest of us, but they face higher consequences if they commit a crime and are caught. Therefore, they are less likely to commit a crime. Not only that, but undocumented immigrants make easy targets. They are easy victims because they are afraid to report crimes that are committed against them. Now, I said at the beginning of this episode that we're seeing an increase in migrants from the Northern Triangle. That's Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador. Now, migrants are flooding in from these Central American nations because there's a lack of jobs and resources back at home. There's a ton of corruption. There's increasing violence. There's terrible fear. We're seeing minors come to our Southern borders in droves because their families fear that if they are men, if they're young boys... They will be enlisted into gang activity, that they won't have a choice, that they will be bullied and threatened. The family will even face murder, kidnapping, extortion if these boys don't join the gangs and cartels in their community. We see women and girls flooding in because there is great violence committed against women and girls consistently. So these unaccompanied minors are fleeing or being sent to the border for very good reasons. They don't qualify for an economic migrant visa or a tourist visa. So they try to come here as asylum seekers, or they feel like they're forced to cross the border illegally. But they're coming because they fear for their lives. The truth is people don't want to immigrate. People do not want to leave their home countries. They don't want to leave their culture. They don't want to leave their homes, their families, their cousins, their way of life. People do not desire migration. It's expensive and it's dangerous. So people who are coming here illegally, they usually have to pay some sort of smuggler or trafficker, and they usually are the victims of crime along the way. In fact, one podcast I learned today, women stop before they get to the border at a birth control center to get a birth control shot because they know they will probably be raped en route to the um, United States-Mexico border. So we're talking about a very vulnerable and a very poor population. Poverty and violence are largely the drivers of immigration at our southern border. And so really when I think about that, I wonder who amongst us can claim credit for where we were born. You and I had no control over the fact that we were born into the United States. It is a tremendous gift to be a citizen of the United States, but it's not something that you or I, you or I earned. This is not a right that we earned. We didn't do something before we were born to deserve to be born in the United States more than anybody else did. So we've really got to keep that at the forefront of our minds, that it's just a gift to be born in this country. How then should we treat our citizenship? How should we steward the passports that we hold? How should we steward the places that we live? This is something that we did not earn. Well, a LifeWay research study conducted in 2015 says almost half, 48% of evangelicals, say that immigrants are a drain on the country's economic resources. About a quarter, 22%, say immigrants are a threat to law and order. So clearly we have some wrong thinking amongst us. And I hope that this podcast and the books and things that I will link will go to correct some of these false ideas 
in the church. Now, 40% of evangelicals view immigration as a chance to love immigrants. So that's awesome. And 42% view it as an opportunity to share Jesus with newcomers. But here's something exciting that I did not remember learning, um, but it's, it's a fabulous statistic. The truth is, the reality is, 86% of immigrant the immigrant population is already Christian or likely to become Christian. So really the immigrant population here in the United States is most likely to be the source of renewal and revival for Christianity here inside our borders. And I think, wouldn't it be just like the Lord to use the weak to shame the wise for his glory? Repeatedly in the Old Testament, we see this command. This is from Leviticus 19. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In Exodus chapter 22, we see, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of of Egypt. We see over and over and over in the Old Testament, the Lord just reminding Israel, reminding his people, you too were aliens. You too were sojourners. Therefore, love the aliens. Do not oppress the sojourners because you too were in that position. The Lord has a heart for the poor. He has a heart for the oppressed, a heart for the displaced. Indeed, outside of God's provision, that's exactly who you and I are. We are poor. We are oppressed. We are without a home if it's not for God's grace. Psalm 146 verse 9 says, The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. In the New Testament, we see James 127, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Jesus said, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. Philippians chapter three, our citizenship is in heaven and from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, our citizenship is in heaven, primarily, above all, you and I are followers of Jesus. We belong to him, first and foremost, above our citizenship to the United States. And of course, who amongst us is not descended from immigrants? Only Native Americans can say that, and that is just 2% of our population. The rest of us have to acknowledge that we are here because someone immigrated before us. And I know people love to say, well, my ancestors came here legally, but guess what? Visas were not needed to enter the United States until the 1920s. So of course they entered legally. There was no other way to do it. So when we talk about immigration reform in the days ahead, let's first and foremost, remember our mandates from God above. We are subject to him before we are subject to any nation. Biblically informed immigration experts who know far more than I do. Of course, I will link to these experts in the show notes. Please go see them. But they say we need to be working on the following three things. When it comes to immigration reform, these are the three things that I heard over and over in all of the podcasts and read in the articles and in the book. These are the three sort of primary things we need to be looking for in the days ahead. First, we need to be looking for more legal channels, more legal pathways for those who are undocumented immigrants. There's really no pathway for many people to come here legally. And we know that it's good when they come here because it's helpful to the economy and it's good for our country. These are good citizens that want to come here. So increasing legal pathways is good for the nation. 
They want to come here to work and to thrive. So let's be um, looking for better legal channels so that we can reduce crowding at the border. Not only that, but it will reduce the market for human trafficking, for illegal human trafficking. Number two, they say we need to be looking for ways as a nation to decrease violence in the Northern Triangle. So looking for ways to do some nation building in those places so that people can stay home. They can stay safe and healthy in their home countries. And thirdly, the experts say we need to be looking for ways to keep families together. Just looking at common sense laws that will not deport one parent or the other. Laws that will not instantly create orphans and widows. So if you are interested in learning more and doing more, check out the show notes. I want to especially guide your attention to the evangelical immigration table. This is a place where evangelical Christians of all denominations, theological traditions, ethnicities, and political perspectives gather together to focus on immigration from a biblical and missional perspective, as well as advocate for public policies consistent with biblical values. So the Evangelical Immigration Table website is just full of wonderful resources. On their site, you can find ways to contact your legislatures. They actually said that it's hugely helpful to be calling your legislatures. Apparently, our um, congressmen and women don't receive a ton of phone calls. And so when phone calls are made, they make a huge impact. So um, I'm going to learn how to do that. There's a uh, There are links on the website, of course, for writing letters to your legislatures. You'll also find other resources like Bible studies, videos, things that will help you wrestle through this issue. Another resource I'll just quickly mention is an organization called Women of Welcome. It's similar to the Evangelical Immigration Table. You can follow them on Instagram, which I have found really helpful to learn more. So in closing, here is the deal. You and I are going to go to bed tonight while 4,000 children are at the border going to bed separated from their parents. These are children who've made a dangerous journey, fleeing poverty, fleeing violence. You and I really cannot, as Christians, pretend like this isn't happening in our own neighborhood and during our own lifetimes. There are orphans at our door and we really must care. I know this issue is hotly debated. I know that it is very divisive. And many of us really just don't know who undocumented immigrants are, what they're like, why they're here, what they do when they get here. There's so much inflammatory rhetoric out there that I think many of us in the church have just lost our way. For far too long, we have been fueled by fear and not by love. So the very least you and I can do is study our Bibles understand God's heart for the immigrant, and of course, contact our legislators to ensure that they know we do care and we want them to take some concrete action to provide some relief to this marginalized community that lives amongst us and yet in the shadows. Thanks for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now.